welcome to the Mac Gamecast. It's episode 46. I'm John Carr, as always, and today we have a real treat. It's been a while, but we have Sam, we have Casper, we have Lily. How is everyone doing? Doing well. Yeah, definitely. Nice to be back. As good as I can be, but I'm here. (laughs) I had more dramatic introductions planned for you all, like, I don't know, Sam, the tech wizard, and Casper, the Euro genius, and like, uh, America's military the finest to have to offer lily or something you know i had all these grand grander uh, <laughs> introductions but that's all right i set them now <laughs> save the flattery for next time i guess right <laughs> yeah um so i've definitely uh, major topics today are going to be apple vision pro um a couple gamer games that have been released things we're playing as usual like death stranding and this and that doesn't necessarily mean we're playing death stranding but i have played it before and can comment on it um, there's some hardware tidbits from Casper and odds and ends, uh, or Sam and Casper. They're the real tech heads here. Uh, Lily and I will probably just make Mass Effect jokes or something. So, uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. That's why I'm here. That, exactly. I mean, yeah. Um, so we'll go from there. Um, what do you want to start with? What's, what, what's the inspiration? I mean, Vision Pro is the big headline. It's uh, the big headline. It's the headliner. Day, right? yeah. You're not wrong. So that, let's start there, I guess. That's yeah. as good as a- I guess any. AVP, Apple Vision Pro. When I see mm-hmm. that, I think of the old like video Alien game or movies. Predator. Alien versus Predator, AVP. So yeah. that's funny. But I guess AVP is its uh, acronym. I don't know if anyone's using that, but... Um, I've seen it all over the place. Okay, yeah. So Apple Vision Pro, unfortunately, I haven't been able to try one. Um, fun fact, there's actually no Apple stores in Vermont. What there hmm. is, is several um, Apple authorized retailer resellers. I mean, this was just one chain. It's called Small Dog Electronics. They're cool. Hmm. They basically have everything. But I contacted them and they said, well, you know, it's a really expensive thing. And the demand's probably not so high here. So we're probably not going to carry it, you know, check back with this later. So. Um, they used to have a store right in my town, but then, then they didn't, but there's one like an hour and a half away, which I, and I basically, I go, I drive by them fairly often going to visit other people, like friends. So it would be easy to drop in if they ever had one to test, but alas, I have not been able to test Mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've not tried like the, the physical hardware. I have tried the simulator in the development environment. Uh, Obviously that's very different to trying the real thing, but I've, I have sort of seen and played with what the software looks like in that setting. Uh, very different to playing with the real thing. So, you know, but that's the closest thing I've gotten. <laughs> Is it available in the in Europe yet, Casper? No, it, it's only a US release. Oh, the I didn't even know that. My bad. Huh. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can't even, even get it in Canada. So it's, it's I don't just think US. so, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. I haven't been paying that close attention. I didn't. I guess I'm just used to Apple stuff releasing everywhere, so they really are treating yeah. it like a, I don't know, what would you call it, a, a specialized product, limited US, release? U.S. can beta test it. That's what, I, that's what I was going to say, the USA yeah. test ground. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the, you know, there are some parts of it that are even officially in beta, like the Personas thing. Um, that's true. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it very much is an early first generation product uh the reviews also reflect that greatly mm, they do. um everyone's talking about how it is cool tech but it's more of a promising idea than you know something the full reality that's already um 
super useful like it can be useful in certain situations i guess but it's it's clear that there's more potential than there is being tapped into right right yeah that makes sense i was going to comment lily has probably used way cooler stuff in the military already but she can't talk about it i'm sure um <laughs> everything goes like military to civilian anyway generally speaking um i only know that from my older brother who used to be an intel officer and he commented on that stuff but um and then in the navy at least um yeah but as far as civilian tech goes it's very cool no one deny it. basically even people who don't really care about it don't deny it like this thing's pretty cool it's reasonably next gen does a lot of stuff no other device is doing um but it definitely has limitations from being gen one has some issues obviously has a uh, one of them being the price point alone it's like woo uh who was i talking to i forget who it was i'm like yeah it's only for rich people or my friend was like, or dumb people. <laughs> right. Meaning people are just like, here's three and a half thousand dollars I don't have. Woohoo. Or whatever it costs, you know. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. No, no offense. But he, it was, that was funny. Um, he, he likes to poke fun at people. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, there, I saw, um, I mean, we should probably give a high level overview at some point. But uh, I saw at some point that um, there's an airline I think you're supposed to call it Beyond, but it's spelled like B-E-O-N-D, um, that are going to offer Apple Vision Pro for their passengers, like uh, as in-flight entertainment. Whoa. It's just Jesus Christ. But it was Holy. also described as a luxury airline. So uh, it, yeah. ha, ha. Only like $10,000 for economy or whatever, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, well, that is sort of, in my opinion, one of the places I would want to use it. You just kind of sure, but you're not going to buy it for that unless no, you like travel no, no, no. like a maniac, right? So. Like this, uh, just uh, like how to, how to how, this this is what I mean. Like a broader augmented reality, virtual reality world where you just kind of go around, and even during travel, like these kinds of devices are available. I'm not saying the mm. Apple Vision Pro will become the standard, although I wouldn't mind if it did because you know I'm mm. already in the Apple ecosystem. Kind of like how the iPads are de facto tablets i know yeah. several people who refer even to their android tablets as ipads though yeah, they're not I've necessarily the most tech savvy but it's just like it's the de facto tablet it just is but there's many other tablets of course so what i'm curious like of course this is pure speculation but just eventually we will be living in a more ar vr type world and of course that'll start in this very early adoption stage which we're still in broadly speaking across all headsets not just apples um but will it go beyond entertainment and into like maybe some sort of practical? I'm more interested in actually for productivity than entertainment these days. Of course, mm. once I get one and at some point in the future, I might change my mind when I see some cool movie or game or something. But mm. um, I'm mostly interested in having like tons of screens to work with <laughs> for productivity reasons. Right. So one interesting limitation of the apple vision pro at least in its first incarnation is that if you want to use it as an external display or i guess just a display uh for yeah. a mac you can only have one window in your virtual environment that represents the mac screen it can't be multi-display um so you you kind of get like one effective 4k resolution display that you can make arbitrarily right. sized but you just get one Interesting. So you can't use like spaces or multi-screen it or something. I mean, you can use spaces, the Mac feature, so right, like right. You know, separate it, but you can't have more than one window in your spatial environment. Sure. Not just like boop, 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 boop. Yeah. Yeah. 
that would be interesting bit, bit though because people do use so many multiple monitors i think do both yeah. you guys use multiple monitors i forget um or yeah say that was one of the I limitations mean, I, for a I, while. I do at work at home i just have one but, right yeah. And of course, so many streamers and YouTubers and whoever, they use all, all these extra monitors or various professionals use extra monitors. So it's like, that would actually be a cool feature eventually where you could just buy the one device, but be like, I have four monitors or five monitors or whatever yeah. the heck you want, you know? And as far as I've understood it, like, even if you already have multiple physical displays, as soon as you connect your Mac to the AVP, all of them go blank. And the mm. only monitor you get is sure. the virtual it's like display. the master override or something. So yeah. in its current iteration, in terms of like, say, Sam, you haven't really spoken up, but um, like, what's your impression of it? And what do you think in a Gen 1 situation, like, who is it for? What's its actual use case for entertainment or productivity or whatever? And, you know, stuff like that. It's, uh, I think the thing it does best is just like the augmented reality, like the latency is like 12 milliseconds, which is equivalent to 60 fps roughly i think 60 fps is like 11.6 milliseconds so it's uh, you're basically viewing is 16 is it 16 so better than, there you go 90 yeah. fps whatever that is yeah. then so you're basically viewing life at 90 fps which is um very impressive like given other headsets on the market other headsets are a lot worse and you sort of get that like either a screen door effect if the resolution's too low where it looks like you're looking through a pixelated view of the world or the latency is just too bad that you either get sick or it's just not practical for like um, real world use. Like he's, I saw in I think MKBHD's video, he's playing ping pong with the vision pro, which is, it wasn't high level ping pong, but it, <laughs> that's pretty impressive. If you can play ping pong and then throw a, throw and catch a ball through the, just you're you're looking at it through screens and cameras like in the latency is good enough to do that i think that's the thing it does best it's uh there's not really any killer app for it yet um vision os seems pretty well done but uh yeah just just the low latency and the other impression i got is given what they did with the latency and, and the resolution and, and the battery life and everything it it almost appears like this is the earliest we could possibly get a product like this because you can tell that m2 chip in the vision pro is just crying um like the battery life is like two hours uh which if, if you compare like a macbook air with the same chip you get what 10 hours of battery life, 12 hours of battery life mm-hmm. so it's just slamming that chip but i've also um, heard that the r1 chip in there consumes about as the same amount of power as the m2 itself um yeah, and then you know, two of those really high res screens and all the sensors and all that. So I think if we look ahead, like, and just assume CPUs adhere to like the same sort of uh, innovation that we've seen in the last five years, in like twenty thirty, we'll probably have a headset that lasts six or seven hours. It'll be way cheaper. It'll hopefully have some killer apps by by that time. Uh, I think I think it'll have killer apps pretty soon, but. Uh, yeah, like this is, it's very much like the tech just got to the point where we could do something like this. And then we have this really expensive headset that does it well enough that I think it's not going to turn people off of the product. Because if you release this like two years ago when the tech wasn't quite good enough and everybody got motion sickness, was when throwing up and like your, your whole product's just gone, even if the tech advances and you have a better version in two or three years. 
Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's my impression. I obviously I haven't tried it. I probably won't try it for a long time, but yeah, impressions mm-hmm. look good. The the thing I think is the coolest from all the reviews I've seen is just how people talk about like the placement of windows in the spatial environment just being exact and them sticking exactly where you left them. And like I've I've heard people say that you can like place a window in your hallway, leave your house, come back, and it's exactly where you put it in your hallway. Oh, and wow. to me that's just like that's impressive. That's that's the like killer feature of this system obviously it's not in itself something that is you know it's not going to make the product useful that it can do that but it's just technologically speaking that's the thing that makes it way more impressive than anything else i've seen in this space being able to keep them there is just wild the one thing i wonder this is more of like a a gamer thing but like i wonder if we're going to see some like really dystopian future where in like 20 years everybody will have just these just like hideous apartments that are like falling mm-hmm. apart with nothing on the walls and they're just walking out the little vr or ar headsets yeah. and having player, this beautiful environment ready, that they're uh, player one <laughs> yeah and meanwhile there's like mold on the wall and mm-hmm. water leaking from the ceiling well, you do have <laughs> to I mean, wonder if the future yeah. apple is going for is the pass-through thing then yeah that's not really <laughs> but, yeah some people will probably live permanently in like the environment mode or whatever where you're just yeah. in like some cool world with backdrops or whatever. Um, no, given the like the human tendency or the nature of uh, fantastical worlds, dazzling your eyes, your brain, um, you know, it, it, certainly some people will fall prey to that. Probably even on the current gen device, just the same way mm-hmm. some people are addicted to phones, computers, games, so many things people are addicted to, outside of like what are considered typical addictions, like drugs or alcohol or what have you tech let's call it tech addiction um and you know i definitely enjoy those scenarios and joys and like in books and shows and games and whatever like cyberpunk's some of my favorite stuff but it's actually a horrible future really there's nothing really good about it i just think it's cool but i want to live there no it's a horrible place to be you know Hmm. same thing for like fallout i enjoy it for its absurdity and dark humor and over the topness but what i want to live in like the mutated irradiated wasteland no i wouldn't um How about warhammer 40k we would all uh, love to live there <laughs> yeah well it depends depends who you are in 40k <laughs> i think um i was about to ask lily that was my next question so like does the military have a contract with apple to like get apple vision pros in your helicopters or something you know <laughs> uh absolutely not <laughs> there's a there's a very big difference in the sort of tech that goes into um, military tech and civilian tech. Right. And very often you'll see crossovers, um, especially in gaming industries. Uh, Bohemia Interactive is the biggest mm-hmm. one. Like everyone, everyone who knows about Bohemia knows they make a lot, a lot of these simulator environments for, um, for the military, but also they make Arma. You know, Arma 3, Arma Reforger. Right. Um, and, and they've been making that game for a while. And they've been making the simulators for the army for a while. Um, and also the Marines. And I believe the Air Force. Um, nice. So that sometimes there is crossover. But when right. it comes to something like VR, um, you're not going to see, at least in its current stage, you're not going to see VR ever in use outside of a training environment. And even then, we have not 
generally liked VR that we've used in the past. And and that might change. And I'm I'm not you know I'm not a spokesperson for the entire army, so I can't I can't say much on uh, on what units that have used it before could say. But I know me personally, um, I've used there was there was this pilot program for um, a VR uh, program for infantry, um, and I, I I think that's the one uh, Sam just brought up. Yeah, that one they like put it on pause for a while because everybody was throwing up. In part. Yeah, <laughs> but yep. So uh, it it was Microsoft, I believe. So that yeah. that does sound right. Um, I was <laughs> curious um, if they what the status of that was. I just found that article I posted, but apparently yeah, they're still I, uh, working on it. But who knows when that'll actually be a thing? I will say I haven't seen it in a uh, what we call a force comm unit, like your your actual deploying and and fighting. People like I've seen it in in the thought bubbles. I've seen it in uh, training units here and there. It's kind of like a neat display. But uh, I will say when I used it, it was uh, I was motion sick after after the first scenario. Um, felt like I was gonna throw up, and I was like, you know, oh no, uh, we're we're gonna tap out on this one. Uh, right. We're in. Yeah. Sorry, but uh, yeah, that's really something you don't want in in a live environment. So. If VR comes to the military again, it will likely be only in a training environment. And I do not see that changing in the far f- in, in the near future. I can see it changing for certain uh, jobs. Um, maybe I can see it being applied to drone pilots. Um, that's that's one thing that's been floated a lot, um, kind of in the military thought bubbles of like um, giving a drone pilot the sensation of being in their drone instead hmm. of just looking at a flat screen. Right. Because it is, it is very difficult to fly, especially in weather. Um, a, something you're not actually um, visualizing properly. And a flat screen does not translate to what your, what your bird is feeling. Right. Um, and, and I think that's the one biggest advantage that human pilots have always had over over drone pilots is um, you're feeling the bird, you're in the bird, and you're not going to get the physical aspect of that if in VR. Um, but at least that way, it's a better visualization of what your what your bird is going through, and that might let drones, um, at least the bigger and more expensive drones, get used in in weather that might usually ground it and stuff like that. Um, and I can also see it um, being used for mechanics and, uh, you know, th- those sort of support personnel. Um, just having, like, obviously maybe not having it on 24-7, but using it as, like, hey, we need to, you know, we need to pull up this technical manual or something. Um, let me slap on these goggles, and now it's it's right here next to this thing I'm working on instead of, Oh, I gotta crawl out of the tank bay, go look at the TM, crawl back in, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, little quality of life things. But then that also comes down to budget of like where does the army want to allocate that? And right now, can't really see the army allocating that. Um, <laughs> and with the current price tag, right, right, should we enter a future where VR is as easy as buying a pair of sunglasses? Then 
might might see that coming into more common usage. Makes sense. <clears throat> I also had a thought, especially for uh, not just the military, but like general activities that rely on like some level of physical mastery or or uh, let's call it like talent mastery of your senses. You know, soldiers, pilots, right? You need good reflexes, good eyesight, um, all this kind of stuff in general, or at least most of them do, depending on their job. It's like I wonder if excessively relying on stuff like VR and AR would like dull those senses because they wouldn't have to use them as much and they would just rely on the tech instead instead of being like what do they call them script kitties you would be like a tech kitty whatever like equivalent that is <laughs> or something you know what i mean yeah oh yeah but i mean there's the flip side of that every time new technology comes out you have people saying oh this is making it too easy you know it's 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 not it, it's not going to be the same in a in a real world situation blah 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 and i'm sure if you go all the way back to you know the romans people are going to be like ah these <laughs> trebuchets it's just it's making it too easy back in my day we had to use a we had to use a an onager and you had to you had to aim with with your eyes and it's like okay um <laughs> and you know it's 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 always going to be a thing so right um you know people thought pilots would would lose natural abilities as we started introducing systems like fly by wire and, and GPS and whatnot. And it's not like you, you can absolutely train degraded. You can train um, without those systems in place and you'll still get the same, uh, the same benefits of knowing how to not use those systems, but it's always better to have a system in place. If you, if it is, available if it provides a benefit there's mm -hmm. no reason to not take right. advantage of something there makes sense yeah no, I, I agree with that and i also think there's like a more general aspect where you know you if you are master of using a tool that will make you overall better no matter what you're doing with it then certainly that's better than being a master who's a master of you know doing the thing without any tools you know, you can also just learn to use the tools more efficiently and become mm. overall better that way. True. Um, but there, there is like a, a general concern about senses with respect to Apple Vision Pro, at least, uh, and all VR, AR tech as it is right now, I think. Because like because of the nature of the lenses and the screens and the camera feed and all that, if you're looking at pass-through video of something that isn't in your infinity focus, so like... I don't know how far away, but, you know, when something is far enough away, it's effectively infinity focus and everything beyond that point is the same. Your lenses of your eyes have to focus to keep that in focus. Um, if you're trying to focus on something that's closer to you than that in your real world, um, you will sort of get eye strain, strain as there's a disconnect between how far it feels like it should be away and how far the optics of the VR headset actually makes it to, for your eyes to focus on. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's going to have like any long-term consequences if you keep doing that, but it certainly it results in eye strain. Um, and another fact is that the the cameras will have a minimal focus range, so anything that's you know too close to you will just automatically be blurry as the cameras in the headset can't focus on it either. Um, so like this 
AR pass-through world, um, the kind of unanimous thing I've been hearing is that it works best when the real world is your periphery and you're not engaging with the real world. You're engaging with the virtual world with the real world accessible, but not in focus. So you're aware of things going on around you, even if you're not engaging with them as the primary thing. Um, yeah, it doesn't fully seem to be like the augmented reality thing where things fully integrate with the real world. That's the key point of something like Apple Vision Pro. It's more you're doing computing and the real world is also there. Yeah. The the other interesting thing, like going back to what Lily was saying with um, like tech, uh, what's, what's the word? Like basically like tech replacing people and like how it's not actually a thing. It's just... I think the huge thing is just it frees up mental bandwidth or hopefully yeah. tech frees up mental bandwidth so that if you were spending 10% of your brain power, I don't know, dealing with like the analog controls of something so your plane doesn't crash. If you can free up that 10% mental bandwidth, you can then focus on tasks that are more important than just like the analog controls of a system or something. Mm-hmm. And it also can change. This is more of a long-term thing, but um, like if, if you thought about, let's say a reality, I'm not sure if this is accurate or not, but like in World War One, World War Two, where you're like very analog aircraft had, I'm assuming a fairly large strength component to flying it, especially in like really bad conditions with a stick and stuff. If you remove some of those barriers, you can then start looking at pilots that maybe wouldn't have fit the strength profile previously or, or a height profile or whatever it might be. Um, but maybe they're smarter or they're better at dogfighting but they just didn't have mm. the physical prowess to dogfight previously but now they can so that's that's more of like a pie in the sky long-term thing but i think anytime tech moves forward it'll surplant some category of individuals who were relying on like their mechanical prowess of the thing that the tech is making easy um but they'll get replaced by people who are now even better at that thing because they don't have to think about that mechanical element. They can instead think about it like a strategic element or a, mm. something else instead. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this thing called the extended mind theory um, where it can apply to most things. You know, a notebook can follow into the extended mind theory or your smartphone or whatever. Uh, and as you say, you know, freeing up mental space, It if you can, instead of knowing 10 things, know how to quickly figure out a million things because you have google in your pocket then yeah you know ten, you don't know those 10 things but you effectively know 10 million things because you have access to it hmm, right so, yeah yeah <clears throat> my my main wish honestly isn't necessarily for like some big headset with all this stuff i would just personally like some ar stuff i want like a hud for my life that's hmm. kind of all i want it doesn't have to be super fancy and high end and all this stuff uh, in one sense, I kind of wish it was separated from each other and not all lumped into one big expensive device. Uh, maybe, you know, one day that'll probably be true. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I would like. You'll have like a health and a stamina bar. Yeah, yeah, your, exactly. Your, your Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> exactly. Your health goes down, you're like, ah, I better bake some cookies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just got to... Yeah, exactly. Game noises. Um, nom, nom, nom. Yeah. yeah. That, was, that was a pretty good Minecraft 
<laughs> I was thinking um, original Deus Ex when you ate candy chocolate mm. bars oh, myself, no, but no. I'm awesome. sure it's pretty similar, like a lot of those noises. Yeah. But um, going back to what Sam was saying also about things being easier, there's a, there's a common misconception, um, especially in regards to the pilot shortage. Um, hmm. If anyone was not aware, there is a worldwide pilot shortage. You mean like airlines <laughs> and stuff, or do you military or both? Every, everywhere. Okay. Everywhere. So military pilots, airlines, small... Why Why small is that? Are they aging out or something, or what's the deal? Um, th- There's a variety of factors, and I could go on about it for the length of an entire episode. So, um, <laughs> But suffice to say, um, the requirements for training and for entry level positions is a lot higher than the payout. Um, mm. So that's the biggest reason. Right. Um, and, and that is a, that is something that, that needs to be fixed on its own time. But the, mm. the common misconception behind that is that piloting has gotten more difficult. Um, there's this under understanding that, Oh, all these computers and, and all <laughs> these, systems and everything it's just so much to to memorize so much to to have to work with and a lot of people don't realize it actually makes it so much easier flying Mm. now is so much easier than it was in in the dawn of flight um not only in the physical regard but also in in just the things you have to have to do in the um and and sure there might be more steps to starting up an airliner now but I mean, you have a checklist for it, right? Like, it's not like they say, hey, you have to memorize every single aircraft, <laughs> every single type, and go in there. Um, once you learn one aircraft and you learn it really well, it's really not that hard to apply it to other aircrafts. Mm. And it is, it, it, and this might scare some people, but it's true. There are some airliners where your pilot might not touch the controls the entire time because the autopilot. And the, and the trimming and the and the computer systems have just gotten so advanced that everything is done automatically. Um, and and you can watch it on YouTube. Um, I, I I watched this video recently, and I forget what it was called, but they they put some random journalist in a <laughs> in a like full mock-up cockpit, like the training cockpits that they use, and said, "Okay, you're going to fly the landing seat." And they had him do it with the ALCS, the Automatic Landing Control System, and then they had him do it by hand. And uh, the ALCS, basically, he just pressed some buttons, and the plane landed itself. Um, so it, it's it's really already gotten to that point. And so, cool. you know, when there's all these concerns about like, oh, it's unsafe, it might it might you know get get pilots too confused or or it might be too <laughs> difficult and and get them out of the real world. It's like, man, listen, that's already happening. You're like I guarantee you, your pilot if if they're touching their controls at all on your like New York to Los Angeles flight, then they're touching it during the takeoff and the landing, and that's like the the most likely they could be touching it even less, or they might be touching it more if they like if they like having hands. I mean, (laughs) especially these longer airline airline pilots, like longer flights. That is, it's, it's basically you're flying a bus. So you're in a straight line the whole way. So there's not exactly much the pilot can even do. Hmm. Um, I have a visual of a bus with like enormous plane wings and a like jet engine <laughs> on it. It's like, wee! I mean, yeah, it's called the Airbus. That's true. <laughs> you're, you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the all these technologies that, that make things easier are not a bad thing and could actually solve 
a lot of the problems we're seeing, um, not just in the airline industry, um, not, you know, not just in the military, but really everywhere. And mm. it's not a bad thing. Um, there, there's, you know, there's always going to be people um, who say, oh, we're promoting weakness. You know, like, back in my day, you had to be so and so strong to fly a plane. Like, yeah, but also how many how many people are flying right now and and you want to complain about airline tickets being so expensive well this is and, and this is how to solve it i have noticed airline tickets going up slowly but surely i mean some of that's fuel but some of it's you know these other reasons i'm sure yeah um i oh, sorry. mild topic change well not topic change but just one thing i, I was wondering with the Vision Pro that I wonder if any of you guys have experience with as like an a comparison would be the iPad when it came out in 2010, 2011. It's one of those two years, I think. That yeah, twenty yeah, I think it was twenty ten. Yeah. So yeah, I remember I bought the first iPad in twenty ten. Um, yeah, yeah, I was I was in first year of university, and it was. It was a cool device, but it didn't really do anything. And mm-hmm. you remember, like, when I, the iPad came out, everybody was like, oh, it doesn't support Microsoft Flash. Like, nah, 90% yeah, of the web will be unusable. And, like, yep. um, so, yeah, like, the iPad is it's interesting to think about because I think the iPad was, like, equally kind of a cool device but useless um, mm-hmm. in its first generation. And then it's it's not, like, taking the world by fire like the iphone or smartphones mm, are but it's right. a very popular product now mm-hmm. um so yeah it makes it i get what, i get what you're saying um especially the difference there basically quote unquote everyone i'm doing air quotes if you're listening uh quote unquote everyone needs a phone so therefore like people will buy more phones on average than they might buy computers or headsets or tablets of course tablets have become pretty ubiquitous now too um it's interesting because my mother still has a Gen 2 iPad. It's not Gen mm. 1, but it was from my grandmother, who's now passed. But she lived to 101.5. Um, oh, wow. And then every now... She just uses it to play music. But every now and then, um, when I'm visiting with her, you know, it's around. Or she she I had to troubleshoot it recently, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this UI. Like, it's obviously, like, iOS and Apple, but it's so, like, ugly mm. and dated and slow and weird. I'm like... Is this it, it? To me, it looks like some weird cheap knockoff of like what it's become <laughs> now because it's you know, hmm. what is that like four, 15 years ago or something uh, or whatever the heck it was. So, um, it's just funny to see the evolution. So, I get what Sam's going going at and what Lily and you guys have all been saying. Like, what will, yeah, not only well, specific, specifically, what will AVP look like in say five or 10 years, but maybe. Uh, the general market for it and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Pretty interesting to think about. Yeah. I mean, certainly a lot can happen in a few generations of a product, but I, I really think the most important thing that'll happen to the vision series is when the pro marker uh, moniker gets scrapped and we just get the Apple vision at some more affordable price point. Mm. But, you know, I, I don't think that'll happen for gen two. Um, just cause I, as Sam said, you know, this is probably, some of the earliest this technology can really exist in a feasible fashion. Uh, so I don't think they're going to make a budget version until they can make a budget version that is at least somewhat 
equivalent to what this first gen pro version is but whenever we can get effectively the first gen pro without the pro at a cheap price point and then there's some pro that's you know significantly better that's when this product category is going to be significantly more meaningful and probably also you know be available across the world instead of the u.s only right right and until that point I think its evolution is going to be significantly slower than something like the iPad, which also did release, it, not exactly worldwide, but to a lot more of the world uh, day one and stuff. So, Sure. Makes sense. The, the other, like, this is more just an anecdote, but, like, every major company, not every major company, but a lot of the big tech companies are not all in would be hyperbole but they're like microsoft we talked about the hololens stuff earlier for them they got that u.s army contract they've been working at hololens for a long time that's their augmented reality headset mm-hmm. apple obviously with avp um, meta or facebook has been dabbling in that for a very long time they're kind of the current market leaders in terms of market share mm-hmm. and then like sony has been bullish with uh, playstation vr like mm-hmm. that doesn't really sell any games or units, but they're <laughs> they believe in the tech enough that they released a second version for the PS5. And mm-hmm. um, see, so yeah, like all these big companies are are trying to crack this, like mm-hmm. VR or AR nut, because I think it's it when somebody cracks it in terms of I, I think like everybody, and by everybody I mean like the general populace, they can see why it would be awesome mm. and the only reason it's not is because the tech's not quite there or not quite being applied correctly yet mm. um, and maybe we need a few more technical innovations mm. to get fully get there but like books like ready player one and stuff are obviously hundreds of years away probably from being reality but yeah <laughs> the, the like general premise of that where it's like ar and vr being a big part of daily life right um, i mean per- personally i think it's more likely that we'll just see more tech all around us than that we'll f- fully emerge ourselves in, in vr headsets or whatever all the time i think they're yeah. going to be a part of it yeah. but just yeah more tech all around that we have everywhere instead of having the tech with us everywhere you know what i mean hmm. and i think the mm-hmm. biggest like gateways to vr being more common is is starting to be like overcome like i have i have my vr headset sitting sitting right here from from when i first uh when i first got it a few years ago and you know it's big it's bulky it's got it's wired to the computer um i i I got you know some of the some of the outgoing stuff on sale from the older generations Mm -hmm. and you got a metal or a quest pro or um, what do you have good question thing <laughs> it's or an it oculus a... i'll tell you oh, that yeah, it's a rift I, test that's what, a rift test. That's I, what it is. I couldn't remember the name um, sorry yeah but you know and and you look back at at the evolution of vr right like first it's it's too big it's wired down it's you need all these sensors and then you know the sensors start going away and then mm-hmm. the wiring starts going away and then the size shrinks down and there's other stuff there's a couple other gates to overcome you know pricing and tech availability um, but as things become more developed and as the pricing drops, there's going to be more uh, more em- emphasis and more um, benefits with with getting these things just for even using it around the house. Like when, when the iPhone first came out, 
or even before the iPhone, when the smartphone, that is, first came out, you know, with things like the BlackBerry and whatnot, it was very much a, this is for business people. Mm -hmm. You know, this is for when you're doing all these things on your phone, for making, you know, meetings and making long calls, et cetera, et cetera. And now flash forward 20 years later, and the smartphone is just a common part of life. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think VR can follow that same trend. Um, maybe not to the same extent, since the smartphone is, is more of a more of a commonplace usage item, but it's definitely going to be something along the lines of, oh yes, I have my PlayStation, I have my TV, I have my computer, I have my VR. Mm -hmm. um, and it it is interesting to think now that, uh, you know, you think evolution of tech. Uh, the first generations are always expensive, but also still have these bugs. Yeah, and then later on. The same bugs will later cause cause them to be cheap. Yeah, like you might sell a cheaper version because it has those same bugs. Yeah, and and it's it's just interesting to think like how maybe in a couple years from now we're gonna look back and say, man, why was the why was the Vision Pro so expensive? It was so crap, you know. <laughs> yeah, speaking speaking of that really quick, just as an aside, because I I had to look it up out of curiosity, the online reports suggest. Um, Apple has sold around 200,000 units of these. Uh, that's the approximate number. Apple, this doesn't come from Apple. It's I don't know how they do it. It's various analysts or what have you. But that's the approximate number. Um, they apparently had around 80,000 for launch day and then, you know, so many more ordered. Mm. Um, evidently, a quick comment. And this is from um, Mac Observer and or Mark German from Bloomberg. Uh, of course, he's a uh, whatever big name. And this kind of stuff, uh, apparently there's a quote from the Apple engineering team, um, the Vision Products Group, the team working on the headset, believe it could take, the, uh, this is a quote, they believe it could take four generations before the device reaches its ideal form. And yeah. it's essentially a prototype in its current state. Like we said earlier, the U.S. is beta testing it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, as Louis said, um, when smartphones first really uh, began rolling out on the market they were seen like this you know business thing and why would anyone else need it and all that um it's kind of interesting with the, the ar vr the mixed reality vision whatever <laughs> apple want to call it spatial computing era hmm. that all the other companies very much seem to like go right so the key th feature here is gaming and then we can try and shovel other features in there later right where apple is really reversing it completely and going we consider all the other spatial computing aspects and then maybe gaming can happen too. I don't know. Right. Hmm. Um, so it's like a completely different angle on it, um, which may be its strength, but at some level, it's also kind of its weakness because everyone who's already engaged with this, the world of VR, well, they're going to look at the competitors and say, you know, the reason we got involved in this is because we were interested in gaming on these headsets. And that product isn't really doing that that well. You know, you can play Fruit Ninja Plus or whatever it's called, but you, you, you can't connect it to your Mac uh, outside of the, like, window mode and get the performance of a high-performance computer. You just get the, the M2 in there and you can do massive VR games and all that. Um, so they might be less interested in the product, but a whole new sphere of people who didn't consider VR because they didn't care about the games might be interested in it. Mm. So it's like opening the door to this product category for some people who weren't initially involved with it, perhaps, right? 
there's yeah. obviously going to be some overlap, but it's it's kind of an interesting. It is really and interesting. Like, yeah. Mark Zuckerberg pointed out that he thought Vision Pro might actually be a positive for the MetaQuest, exactly because it you know increased the total market for headsets, mm. um, and that since the Quest was so much cheaper than the Vision Pro, some of that was going to go to the Quest as well. And mm-hmm. then he later did a weird quasi review thing where he just started shitting on the product instead i don't know what's going on with that but yeah it's certainly interesting with the the market groups there right yeah no it also makes sense because maybe let's just say you're not a gamer and you get into an apple vision pro whether now or in the future and it's let's just Mm -hmm. say it remains more general use slash productivity focused and then they're like hey this whole vr ar stuff's pretty cool how do i like really game on one of these oh there's like mm-hmm. a MetaQuest 5 or whatever the heck it would be by then that thing's really yeah. cool i'll pick up one of those um that being said apple definitely isn't ignoring general entertainment like they're partnering with disney and making all these experiences and cool movie modes apparently the movie mode is really like amazing even in the gen 1 version mm-hmm. um not to mention i don't even know what to call them by experiences they're like these weird interactive theme parky things um also i think that's a really cool component like i remember um i would rather i would actually be very interested in what do they call it edutainment educational entertainment Hmm. um man i can't remember their names now but growing up um my parents would buy us various computer games um that were like learning like learning math and fractions and or um sort of a wikipedia type thing but it was all in a cd I forget what they were called, honestly. And you would load it up and it'd all be about animals and this and that. And it would play like movies and sounds and you could research things. But, you know, it was just all on a disc. It wasn't online. Um, you know, if you could go into like a cool, I don't know, simulated rainforest or mountain range or, you know, whatever, something cool in nature and like explore things. And, oh, there's a plant and boop, it pops up with its info. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm more interested in like the experience side of it, not just for entertainment, but more like maybe edutainment or meditation or what have you like because there's already so many cool games in the world of course you can always okay the next cool big thing um of course that's always there Mm -hmm. but i'm more interested in the angle you just mentioned casper this other side that's basically less explored with this kind of technology i want Mm -hmm. to see more of that access that's my Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a shame that the apple vision pro can't do the whole gaming thing as well because like you know, may, there's definitely going to be games for it. As I said, there's already the Fruit Ninja Plus, and I'm sure it's a great laugh, you know. And you don't necessarily <laughs> need the, the most powerful thing, because, you know, something like Beat Saber is also very successful in the VR space, and sure. I don't know how demanding it is, but it's surely not like a, a massive AAA PC title demanding. Um, but, I don't know, I, I wish you could connect it to your M3 Max, M3 you know, ultra, whatever future Mac you get and, and get the gaming performance off that chip in the VR uh, right. headset. But Like you'd have your mouse and keyboard, slap on your Apple Vision Pro and play in like some mega like movie theater screen or whatever and play well, whatever game you want. Not, not necessarily that. I mean, I guess you can do that by, you know, mirroring the Mac display. But I was thinking like actually playing a VR game Oh, okay. But instead yeah. of using the M2 chip in the headset, make use of your Mac oh, the, chip yeah, to Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yep, like piggyback yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, and I a, think yeah. as, as again, as technology develops, right, you're, you're going to start. Like, it's, it's the same thing with, with, I mean, just computers, right? Like, 
You might have a really, really good computer that can run any game out there. You might have a mid-level one that's like, you know, I can play like Minecraft and, and whatever and Fortnite and et cetera. Um, but maybe not like Arma and, and, you know, Mass Effect in the highest resolution or whatever, right? Um, you know, Hogwarts Legacy, whatever. But, and then, and then you have your lower tier that's just like, oh, this is just for my writing papers. Hmm. And you might see the same thing with VR, right? Like, hmm. um, the difference between VTOL VR and DCS, right? Because obviously, I'm an aviator, I love flight simulators, yay. But those are, those are the two big ones, right? You have, you have VTOL VR, and you have DCS, Digital Combat Simulator. And they're both excellent flight simulators. They're both a lot of fun. But one looks so close to real life, right? DCS is like, sometimes people mistake DCS, like, footage. And, and, and you know, the same thing happens with Arma and any other hmm. realistic game. It's like, oh, this, look, it's an actual hornet doing crazy shit. And it's like, no, man, this is just an DCS. <laughs> um, but then you have VTOL VR, which is, like, very lower, lower graphics. Like, it, it doesn't look like a comic by any means, but it's still very clearly like mm. low resolution, mm. kind of cartoony type thing. Right. And and you might have it so that it's like, oh yes, my mid level uh, you know, Apple three or whatever, right, can can run uh VTOL VR, but then I get like the pro version and now I can run all these other games. Um and, and I think, you know, right now there's maybe not much of an emphasis on it, but I can definitely see the technology moving that way as we, as we get more options and as the market widens and as the technology easier to implement mm-hmm. in in different different ways. Sure, I, I I don't doubt that we're going to get to that stage, but there's just always going to be some inherent limitations in what kind of processing power you can put inside of the headset, both due to you know you can't put the biggest heat sink in the world in there and you're going to be limited in what kind of fan is going to be reasonable to you know have blowing on your face and that <laughs> sort of thing and, and power consumption for that matter if you want to increase the battery life long term um so th- by offloading the computing power to a separate device like the mac you might already have you would be able to render more impressive graphics no matter what and you can upgrade that independently of the headset which might still be excellent quality with the displays and all that so I think that that flexibility would be nice to have uh, and exists with some products like the the Quest or whatever that I think would be nice to also have on the Apple Vision Pro. But I I get what Apple is going for. They want it to be a singular device. They don't want the complexity of that to fuss around with. And and I get it. I just, I wish it was there for gaming. But again, gaming is also the singular use case where I can see it really mattering. Um, So I don't know. But also, we don't know, right? Like, microchips have come a long way. Power generation has come a long way. Like, you know, maybe we're we're one one step away from I don't know, like having safe nuclear fusion generators in everyone's backyard, right? Like, I I, I think it's it's definitely like a good short term thing. Like, mm. yes, we should we should be able to link it in, like kind of what the Oculus does and whatnot, but. Who knows? Maybe, maybe like ten years down the line, we might have VR goggles that are just headsets, whatever that are just uh, strong enough to to run anything. Like, sure, but give give Texas. give a video game graphics programmer a million times faster CPU and GPU, and they're gonna create you know fifty percent prettier graphics. That'll <laughs> take up all of that GPU and CPU power. 
<laughs> so there's, well, there's always going to be a requirement yes, for more beefy hardware. But the human eye, right? Like, and and this kind of goes back to the whole, I think, FPS discussion we were having earlier. Mm. The human eye, the human mind can only comprehend so much, right? Like, you get to a certain point. I think it's something like, you know, there's a difference. Your your mind can still process a difference between 60 and 120, but the difference between 120 to 240 is like very minuscule comparatively in terms of FPS. Mm. So I, I think eventually there's a ceiling, you know. Um, Diminishing returns, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I could be wrong. I'm not a I'm not a biologist, and I'm not a not a computer game no, designer, I, so I, I can't say yeah, either way. I agree with your thinking, and I was actually going to comment something very similar. Like we're speculating now based on a scale that we understand, but mm-hmm. that scale will shift as time goes on beyond what we could even speculate on essentially like new tech will occur new inventions or breakthroughs or this or that or whatever at some point it'll be sure but um, i just think they're so far from where we are yeah. to being anywhere close to that ceiling or, yeah yeah i agree you know, so wait, that, it's yeah. no I, soon. yeah i think like a mild response casper would be i think we're like not that far away from cloud streaming being really big for gaming sure like like by not that far, I mean like at least a decade still. But like I think in the next, I think like twenty years from now, I think dedicated, powerful consoles or gaming PCs that sit under your desk or in your media cabinet will be like still a thing, but they'll be kind of like a more boutique. Like oh yeah, I got I got I got mine locally, and it'll be like, <laughs> all your friends will come look at it. Um, <laughs> and, and if you live like out in the middle of nowhere, yeah, you'll need to buy something to. Mm. To, uh, but let's say you live like I live kind of close to Toronto, Canada, um, like big city. I think everybody will just have their like processing center that's like 30 kilometers away. And mm-hmm. I'm getting piped like supercomputer data at like a latency of like one millisecond through the fiber lines. And there'll be no need for like local processing for like not like obviously local processing will always be around, but mm-hmm really heavy lifts will just get done at, at the data center. No, I can definitely see that. And I can see that working super well for a head mounted display t- situation. And at that point, you know, you, you might not even need more than what the M2 is now, even in that future world of processing, you just need something with good video decoding capability basically. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah. Yeah. Cause cloud, like I, I don't want to derail us too hard, but like the cloud streaming is like kind of similar to VR where it's like, it's, it's right there. And like mm-hmm. everybody's pursuing it, and it's like I can play for like hours sometimes cloud streaming, and I don't notice it's cloud. And then it, then you have a hiccup, and you're you have this mm-hmm. crazy artifacts, no, or you yeah. get disconnected. Oh, like, it's a good ah. segue for multiple reasons. One, Apple now allows streaming apps in the App Store, which was a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, we've been talking about cloud gaming on this not only his show, but even the previous. Um, Mac Game Cast show, which you three weren't a part of, but Ted was like on live was a thing back in 2011, you know, mm-hmm. and it was awkward, but it was like, whoa, this is cool. And we, I think what maybe Mir Casper speculated or postulated, whatever the word is, you know, last year or two, like, will there come a point where, yeah, we don't need to do this kind of heavy lifting and it is just being, you know, offloaded to the cloud, you know, um, haven't thought about that in a while, honestly, till Sam just brought it up. And it's an interesting point. You were just saying, Casper, LinkedIn with an appropriately um, scaled headset that can receive input, output, decode. Maybe it has really nice um, speakers or or, uh, display in it or whatever. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's an interesting thought for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Probably the most next likely big step to occur, at least in relation mm-hmm. to like gaming. Other other applications or other uh, yeah other applications. I'm not sure, but as far as gaming goes, it's probably very likely in that relative time frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do remember on live um, because you know that was that was a day where uh, my parents absolutely hated the idea of video games. I was still a freshman in high school, so mm. uh, that was like a that was a funny way to get around. Uh, not not having enough computing power or or storage space to have games on my own <laughs> on my own system. Oh god, that's so that's such a throwback. I almost forgot about it. It was super cool because if I remember correctly, you could like play any game for free for like 20 30 minutes 30, or something. 30 minutes. Yep. 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. the demos. That was fucking great. It was very <laughs> Sorry, good. Was but that was awesome. No, no, it it was awesome and you could just go and watch anyone play, which yeah. was like in built-in Twitch but like better because you could just go click click and you have to deal with ads and all this crap and yeah. buffering and whatever usually i mean buffering could be there but everything was 720p they had a 1080p planned but it didn't happen before they went under um you know yeah. big big dreams uh i did do one whatever you canaan lynch 2 i reviewed for inside mm-hmm. mac games and there was like a revolt because um it was like not a mac game and so you know uh who mm-hmm. is the editor damn i forget his name he was good but he agreed to it but then, you know, he, like, posted some night note, like, okay, guys, we did this one. We won't do it again, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I've been fascinated with the tech ever since, um, especially, well, for me, back because that was still when I was doing journalism, um, I had an all-access pass to OnLive, every game, just fully unlocked, no yeah. no limits. Um, and that was, that was very convenient because then I could just bypass the demo time. But... Um, to me like do that but like yeah do it in like 1080p minimum or 4k now i think um oh my god what's uh and uh, geforce now does support 4k now and uh 3d audio and like all this cool stuff like the tech is getting pretty wild even now so like five Mm -hmm. years from now 10 years from now what does it give 20 it's just gonna be like the main like to me the barrier isn't the tech i think the tech's getting very close the barrier is um, at least in the USA, because we're behind on infrastructure, like widespread high-speed internet, like mm. easy, cheap, reliable, other than like really extended remote places, like Sam was saying, maybe you're somewhere remote and you still have like your local hardware or whatever. Mm. Um, to me, that's a bigger barrier than the tech itself just evolving to where that could occur. That's my, that's what I think. But, but all of that always goes two directions. Because um, like one thing is how good internet you have, I have pretty good internet here, but I've never had a good experience with GeForce Now. And I assume it's because their nearest data center is far away from me and relative to where my connection attaches to the right, wires, right. the latency is bad, right? Um, and, you know, it's, it's also been a problem for um, the Mac App Store uh, trying to deliver bigger and bigger files with games now being yeah, mm. exclusive to it and stuff. Um, right. I don't know if you guys watched it, but Andrew Sai did some... Um, he did a live stream where he was supposed to play Death Stranding. It was almost finishing download when he started the live stream. And then the App Store just crapped out and went like, ah, download failed, try again. And he had like gigabit or something. He had fast and right. I forget his six speed. But the App Store was downloading at like five megabit. Because oh, that's... No. The, the App Store had slow servers. Um 
So, like, yeah, the infrastructure needs to improve, not just on, like, our ends as the end users, but also, you know, you, you need local data centers that are fairly close to you to get proper speeds for these sort of things. Um, so the, the technology might exist, but we really need to, to expand on the infrastructure front, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think every like major city will eventually have their little mini data centers. Mm-hmm. Like for for all the big players like Apple, Nvidia, Google, mm-hmm. like little players won't won't have that. And if you're within like I don't know fifty kilometers or thirty kilometers, or whatever, it'll be a nice experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, all the companies that sell stuff like games, especially they they would love to not have you ever have to wait on a download like mm-hmm. imagine like you're on steam all your friends like hell divers right now is the like, popular game two of your friends playing hell divers like ah oh, play hell divers but you have 100 meg down internet and you're like you know okay it's gonna be five hours to download it and then i gotta wait for it to install and like, maybe yeah. i don't have enough disk space if you could just click play and instantly be in their party in 10 seconds mm-hmm. you're gonna buy that game right then and there mm-hmm. um so like I think the the hours and gigabytes of space required locally right now is like a huge not huge is the wrong word that's hyperbole but I think a lot of people would buy a lot more games if you, if you could just click play and mm-hmm. instantly be playing the game um, and that was one of, one of the things when I used Stadia a little bit just as more mm-hmm. of an experiment it was really cool and almost surreal like I remember I signed up for my account and I looked at a bunch of games and then I was like oh, it looks interesting and you're just like click. And then you're playing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no like I have good internet. I have gigabit down, but even then, you're waiting usually 15, 20 minutes for a game to download. Mm-hmm. I mean, the consoles did a thing at some point, and I think it sort of faded in how popular it is for developers to try and integrate with. But they did a thing where you know you start the download, but then you could start playing at like fifteen percent or whatever, uh, and you didn't have access to the whole game, but you have access mm. to the beginning, and so the mm. rest would download while you were playing, and you know. You might stumble up on a loading screen that's like, well, you're going to be here for a while because we're still downloading this level, but you could get started quickly. Um, something like that, unfortunately, never happened on the PC, on Steam or Epic or whatever, but it could be um, pretty cool if, if any of Blizzard, okay. Blizzard did it for most of Oh, Blizzard stuff. did it. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Just Blizzard. Um, I haven't seen anyone else do that. Yeah, okay. But like more widespread adoption of that could also sort of mitigate the mm. waiting problem, I guess. Mm. But cloud streaming would definitely just solve it effectively right uh, instant access yeah. um, but also on the on the topic of like data center locality um, something Netflix does that's pretty cool is that they have agreements with a lot of ISPs uh, internet service providers for those at home if you don't know the abbreviation um, such that um, the most popular aspect of their catalog is going to be duplicated at your ISP so when you try and watch some netflix content you don't need to go to netflix servers the most popular content is already cached at your internet service provider so you just get it straight from them right where your wire connects to the bigger internet nice Mm -hmm. yeah yeah more more stuff like that i mean that's where you know our current world is obviously very divided i don't mean like politically or whatever that may be there but i mean like there's there's lots of corporations competing for similar parts of the pie as we're talking about Mm -hmm. um and in something like ready player one there isn't multiple people there's one giant company they run everything i forget even the name of the company they run the whole vr system they exclusively have the hardware there's people who might like 
hack it a little bit or something, but it's just, it's, it's one platform, one company, one service, one fee, everything's just down to a singular thing. Will that mm-hmm. happen in our life? Well, I don't think it will personally, but um, like that in a sense makes it easier because there is one person just distributing everything. What if mm. Netflix somehow made a VR headset or, and then like tagged into all the data centers, which are already global or whatever, um, mm. or cloud, cloud stream game thing, whatever, like, um, yeah, it's interesting. My point is like the, some corporations like would need to start making agreements or contracts with each other, like, oh, I'll tie in with you or this data center or this thing or that thing. Just we'll share this. open standard adoption, right? You could. there, Yeah, there you go. Some sort of yeah. open standard. Yeah. <laughs> we got lucky with uh, music that everybody kind of, I know there's a little bit of exclusive stuff between Spotify and Apple music and a lot, but mostly it's just all, all music is available on all platforms. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They, they kind of banded together to fight piracy, all the, all the <laughs> record yeah. labels, and they were just like, all right, we'll put it all on iTunes. Yeah. Uh, but if, if, let's say if that happened now, you'd have like Warner would have their own streaming service. Oh, God. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the other players are in the music industry, but they'd, all, they'd be yeah, like 12 yeah. different apps to stream yeah. whatever artists you wanted to listen to, which would be the worst. <laughs> yeah, that's actually kind of an interesting point, because with something like music, the different platforms are competing on having the best music delivery platform not the best music mm-hmm. and i think it's actually kind of a shame that you know maybe game streaming services but definitely something like netflix or you know amazon prime or the, the movie and, and show markets even if one of them has a terrible delivery platform you, you hate interacting with the ui and their servers are slow and all that their content exclusivity means that they kind of win by default if you want to watch mm-hmm. that content Right. The real competition for them should be delivering the best delivery platform. And then the content should be everywhere, right? That would be ideal for com- competition, uh, de- delivering the best products on the market, I think. Because, you yeah. know, the com- content, should compete a- a- content should compete against content and the delivery platforms could, de- de- you know, compete against each other and being the best delivery platform. I think that would produce good results but i don't know well it's definitely <laughs> that's market ideal. dynamic shit that, so. that's yeah. that's ideal for us the consumer yeah that's what, the yeah. ideal for the the companies running them. right right yeah the, the incentive structure isn't necessarily there but i think it would be yeah. good for us as consumers oh i yeah. agree 100 percent. and ideally you're obviously the you, you, uh, utopia is maybe too strong a word the ideal there is you reach a balance where it's ideal for the consumers and the companies Consumers mm-hmm. are happy. They're making money, you know, at whatever reasonable rate. Um, mm-hmm. And then, boop, everyone, you know, it just it just goes up. Speaking of the game industry, let's switch a little bit because uh, if we have more topics to hit, we do have um, what well, we still have like mm-hmm. what we have like fifty more minutes. But mm-hmm. um, state of the game industry um, that's been going on the last few months. Uh, state of basically in that not only last year was there a ton of layoffs, um, but also at the start of this year. I forget the exact number, but like Microsoft, just promptly after acquiring them, they laid off like a huge amount of people, like almost 2,000 people. Yeah, almost 2,000 people. Tons of studios have been getting shuttered left and right, even like some notable ones. To be fair, some of those studios released games that just flopped. So, well, with the way things are these days, uh, unless you're maybe a big AAA studio with a large pedigree who can afford to release a flop and then come back from it, a.k.a. Bioware, haha. Um, <laughs> um, you know, newer soon, studios. Soon. Yeah, sorry. 
I mean, they're still making a new Mass Effect in Dragon Age, so you know they can redeem themselves. Allegedly. Um, oh yes, they can't. They have the potential to. Oh, you mean allegedly they're making it, or allegedly they could redeem themselves? I mean, yes, yeah, <laughs> both. Yeah. <laughs> both. That's true. We haven't seen any photos or whatever. Um, mm. But I am hoping for like a super cool next gen Mass Effect game. I can just get lost in that would make like to me that like that could be like my sci-fi Baldur's Gate or whatever. Like, let's go. But um, hmm. that's another topic. But the point is, you know, it's interesting. And again, seeing as we we're just talking about market dynamics, apparently what's driving a lot of this, even some successful companies, some of it is shareholders. I think it was Embracer Group. They released some sort of, let's just call it poorly worded statement. Like, we only take all our, I'm paraphrasing, but like all our actions are to simply maximize shareholder profits or something. It was like very inhumane bunch of people that been laid off and he made something too strong. It like was kind of callous, callously worded, you sure. know? Um, and then Larian studios, of course, at Baldur's Gate three, Sam and I did a review episode of that. We've chatted about it before. Otherwise um, they've been winning awards like out the wazoo for Baldur's Gate three deservedly. Um, and they recently were at, I forget which game award show. And they took a moment to talk about the industry and just say like, Hey guys, like, you know, thank you for our success. We don't have any shareholders. We don't have to think about them. But the main thing is, like, you're all important, meaning, like, people have been laid off or maybe discouraged. Like, uh, mm. you know, your creativity and talent is needed in our industry to keep making great games. Like, keep your head up. Like, keep trying, you know, uh, keep moving forward. Like, they were trying to be encouraging. But they're a bit of a, I don't know, I don't, black swan's the wrong word, white swan. They're like, they're like a bit of a unicorn in the game industry. They who were an indie who have grown into be like a mega indie or whatever the mm. word is, you know, to release AAA games. Obviously, Baldur's Gate 3 is like the ludicrous hit of the decade or whatever, but not everyone can be that. Most of these companies are beholden to someone else. So many of the yeah. big names we all knew growing up have been purchased by someone else. Microsoft, Act, you know, Blizzard themselves merged into Activision, then Activision bought by Blizzard. Dozens of studios or whatever bought it by EA. And there was all kinds of interference and weird stuff going on and like takeovers of management and engine disparities and all this like nonsense that basically hindered the game development or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, but the main thing I wanted to ask you guys is, so all these layoffs and cause I don't want to sound, um, what do you call it? Mean or indifferent or whatever. But I do know in some, some industries and cases over COVID, there was a lot of free money and a lot of people got hired on in various, especially tech sectors basically mm -hmm. jobs that were just like kind of whatever, at least in social media places and stuff, allegedly anyway. Mm. And then kind of when things tapered back down, a lot of people got fired and they're like, oh my God, there's like huge layoffs. But at least in some cases, it was just like kind of unimportant jobs or maybe the extra money ran out or whatever. So I wonder, mm. did the game industry get affected by that? Or is it just kind of like things coming to a head because game, especially bigger, like double A AA or triple A games do take years to develop? So maybe they started working on it in 2020 and they release it in like 2023 or 2024 or whatever. And then it either does well or it doesn't. And then people get laid off. And I guess just what do you guys think about it um, in general? Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this a little bit. Like I, I listened to some other podcasts, but I touched on it too. Um, it's, I think, I think, I, I don't want to sound callous because it like it sucks when people lose their job, especially if they like relocated across the country or something for that right. job. Um. But at the same time, I feel like gaming industry layoffs get way more attention than like every other industry because the game industry is a very like social media 
like influencer driven industry where like reporter like let's say jason schreier at bloomberg one of the biggest like game reporters he like personally knows like tons of devs at tons of studios and they'll all feed him information and stuff Mm. you don't really have that in other industries like if if in the tech industry like like I work in cybersecurity, we've had tons of layoffs. Like nobody cares. I'm not asking anybody to care, but it's right. like I haven't been laid off, but like massive, like 10, 15, 20% workforce reductions and stuff. But that it's more just like a footnote. Whereas in the game industry, it'll like trend on social media and stuff. And I, I, that's fair and that's valid. And I think it, it sucks, but I also think people only have so much, like people meaning the general public only has so much, um, empathy to go around like mm. pe- you can't care about everything as right. an individual you have to kind of pick and choose what you care about sure. and that's not to say like things don't matter or they don't suck but it's more just like if you try to care about everything you'll just be super depressed and mm. that's not good and yeah not every battle is yours to fight mm. um but to your point john covid like 2020 2021 massive record profits for game industry a lot of them loaded up on uh, staff and then fast forward two, three years, mm. COVID's over, lockdowns are over, people are back to work and not gaming 12 hours a day <laughs> uh, and profits are down shockingly. So right, now they're right. people off, which it, it's more, it's frustrating that like the power, the people who run the studios, like the C-level execs are just didn't have the foresight and not every company did this but a lot did like embracer group they own like 300 studios or something insane yeah and then when all the interest rates on money went up like in the last year they're like oh shit we owe this money and our interest rate just quadrupled Mm. uh now we're gonna go bankrupt unless we start letting people off and selling studios Mm. um it just seems like bad planning it's like Mm. the covid boom was never going to last forever nope but people acted like it would and hired like it would and yeah yeah stuff like that That was an issue there's definitely there's definitely a lot of that i think some of it also is like i also agree that it's um strangely highlighted like oh my god people are laid off it's like as some one of you guys were just saying that happens every day across all industries basically more or less or or all kinds of jobs and is it great no it's just kind of this i I always want to call it the cycle of life People get fired. People get hired. It just it just kind of goes on. Sometimes it's unfair. Sometimes it sucks. Sometimes you could say, "Well, you tried and it didn't work out. You, maybe you released a bad product nobody wanted. Maybe your game wasn't very good." And in my opinion, in twenty twenty four, if you wanna if you wanna go big, you got to make a good game, or you may even have mm-hmm. to make a great game if it's a crowded genre. You can't make an okay game and just be like we're going to keep all our jobs and our studio is going to make a lot of money. It's like, nah, uh, uh, gamers have limited time and money. Even people who game 12 hours a day, like there's mm-hmm. a lot of good games that can be for their attention. You know, I might, you know, it's like how many more games can the market bear? Well, there's a, they can bear a lot of them, but if your game's mm-hmm. mediocre and then especially if it's not free to play, like mediocre free to play games often get by because they're free to play and they're accessible. But if you release a forty, fifty, sixty dollar game that's just either average or below average, you're probably going to tank. Because mm. now I know no one's trying to do that. No one sits out to go, well, let's just make an okay game that'll get mixed reviews on Steam and not sell very well. Obviously, no one tries to do that. But um, 
not not everyone can bat a thousand like just just the nature of the vault there's, there's so many games being made some of them are going to be mega hits some of them are going to be middle of the pack which is a lot of them and some of them are just going to be at the bottom and they're going to flatline whether they're free to play or triple a or whatever like um immortals of avernum or whatever that sort of like magical fps type game mm-hmm. looked decent i was vaguely interested but by all accounts, it was just kind of a 6 out of 10-ish, 6.5 max kind of game. It was just okay. Mm-hmm. And the stu- But the studio, and again, I'm not trying to like paint them in a bad light, but in my opinion, they just kind of made excuses about their game. Like, oh, mm-hmm. it was, they just didn't get enough marketing, or it was, between, it was between Starfield and Baldur's Gate. It's true, they were big games, but it's like, honestly, dude, your game just wasn't very good. It was just fine. I, I don't you disagree know? with a lot of what you guys are saying, but I think the primary aspects of why it's so noted in the games industry is a that the developers behind these things the people who get laid off are often treated worse than what they would be treated in other positions that are available to them and their passion for video games is being abused a little in that Mm. they're paid less uh, they often suffer under leadership that doesn't treat them very well i heard a story from someone at Blizzard who just like it was a uh, a boss that were pretty much directly saying to the team, "Remember, you guys are not the rock stars. The other t- department are the rock stars. You guys, you're supposed to make them shine." And then you know yeah, everyone the in the team. room, yeah, the B team, they they all heard that and just started leaving the room. And the boss man was just on stage going, "What? What did I say? What's wrong?" Like didn't understand that. And this was in a like uh, morale boosting speech he was doing this. Right? Oh my god! Um, wow. And he, in his apology that he was uh, f- forced to give by the board, right? Right. He said the same thing again. He didn't understand what was wrong. Um, so I, th- I think, like, yeah, these people could get better positions with the skill sets they have, but they choose to be here and is being taken advantage of. Right. That's one side That's of it, point. and I think another side of it is that. Um, as you say, you know, the game flops. It happened. It happens, you know. That's the situation of things. Fair enough. People have to be laid off. Didn't go that well. The managers who made all the bad decisions that led us to this point, the people who make the PR blunders, the people who make the decision halfway through to say, wait, scrap everything we have, let's start again, and that's the cause of everything feeling rushed or whatever. Mm. They fail upwards. They get promoted. Right, where right. all of the people who just did the groundwork they were told to do, well, there's the door. Leave. Right? Yeah. Um, that's the major problem. So, bummer. like, the, the, the responsibility is not necessarily in the hands of those who were responsible always. And I, I think that's a shame. In It doesn't really result in anything good. Well, that's probably the main point. And I don't think that's exclusive to games. That's, I think, no, true definitely a lot of, not. But, but it's true that as gamers, and it's true that the average, I don't want to call them grunts, but the, the basic employees of a game studio, they're gamers like us. They're passionate mm-hmm. like us. Yeah. Um, and it's probably true definitely in some places, even in notable studios. Let's, let's take um, CD Projekt Red, Cyberpunk. That's a notable example. Mm-hmm. Um, they went through like outrageous crunch to push the game. They had all sorts of dropped features and like weird like lying to investors and like yeah bad management but they were fortunate that in a sense um you could say like bioware they had released such good games previously they had so much goodwill and so many pre-orders they failed forward if they were 
that being said, I do still think the launch of the game was like over over overhyped on how bad it was because the game was still good. It mm-hmm. just was like kind of a seven out of ten instead of a ten out of ten where it was supposed to be. Um, I don't really know if they experienced layoffs, but I know their like stock dropped and all they lost tons of money and there's mm-hmm. investors sued them and all this stuff. So like some people, they can get in a terrible situation through their own bad decisions and still get out of it. But it's true a lot of people don't. And they do get mm-hmm. laid off and they do get fired and this and that. And like, that is, that is too bad. Um, mm-hmm. And it would be nice. Yeah. That uh, the people who ultimately made it happen were more accountable. I don't know if it's, is it, is this just like corporate culture? Is it like who, you know, like, I don't know how they're insulated. I don't really mm-hmm. know how all that works. Cause I've never been part of anything than like a 10 man web team before. That's like the largest group I've been a part of in work. And we were distributed mm-hmm. team anyway. We weren't like all in one place. So I've mm-hmm. never been a part of like a big group of people and how that works. Just, um, mm-hmm. But it is too bad. So yeah, I do I do hope, um, you know, if I sound indifferent, it's probably because I'm a little more distant from video gaming these days. I'm spending way more time board gaming and whatever playing. I got into Warhammer 40k now tabletop, um, which has been a good time. But I remember being really passionate about um, certain studios, like huge, huge fan of Blizzard. I haven't really been for a long time, so it's kind of like whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, used to be a huge fan of, um, oh my goodness, who is it who made um, all the Bioshock games? 2K? Well, that was a publisher. I forget the developer mm-hmm. exactly. Um, but then, I don't know, or, or uh, who is it? Or whoever made Borderland, the Borderlands spinoff. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my God, what, the pre-sequel game. For example, um, it didn't sell very well, so they only made like one DLC. Then they got shuttered, and I was like, I remember feeling like, like I was like, this is so unfair, this is outrageous. And I was on forums and rah 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 commenting like, this game is good. How dare you lay them off? Let them, you know, give them more a chance and rah rah rah. Like I was really passionate about it, and I'm sure the developers that got fired were pretty passionate about it too. Mm-hmm. So I do remember being more attached to all of that, and I was just as a consumer gamer rather than. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't directly affected beyond like, oh no, my favorite, like this, this. Maybe this game doesn't get a sequel or something. Um, poor me. You know, I, I still have my job and, and my life and my other games and whatever. But yeah, yeah there's no perfect situation for it. Um, and it is a combination of factors. I just thought it was interesting because it does keep making headlines. Like, boom, here's mm. these people getting fired and studios closed. And... Mm. But I, I mean, as seen... Sam said, you know, yeah. you can't care about the, the hurt of all 1900 people who got fired. No. But you, but you can care about the fact that that it happened and that's a shame but you know you you can't care for all 1900 people that's not feasible for an individual right what 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 will be more like the real cracks to me will be like i need to see like a pillar of the industry shut down ubisoft Mm -hmm. like cracks blizzard or activision cracks so you know someone like enormous ea or some mate or bioware let's hopefully not but let's say dragon age and mass effect flop they're they're probably not gonna survive that you know Mm -hmm. like there's only so many chances or goodwill or credit or whatever they can manage so if like some of the like long 10 20 plus 30 year like pillars of the gaming world start like then i'll be like Mm -hmm. oh my goodness then i'd be very concerned for now it's just kind of like well it comes and goes on that note, like this is more, I'm trying to find the article. It was referenced in the other podcast I was listening to. One of the, it's like Bloomberg or something. They got an anonymous executive from a large game company to like give them a quote, but he wouldn't say who he was. But he mm-hmm. said like, if you think like the current layoffs have been bad, 
buckle up because mm-hmm. he's like you're going to see not just layoffs but like studio closures and publishers shutting down and like basically the, the gaming industry like way overextended and mm-hmm. there's going to be a massive contraction in the next like in 2024 and, and maybe even into 2025 with what they were thinking. Like, I, I think that I, I hope we don't yeah. see that but well I think I can we'll, I can understand uh, that because we're seeing it with some movies as well not that I want to get into like the movie verse but let's just as like a very quick summary like the whole Marvel universe has been flopping and crumbling for the, for a bit. The budgets have been ridiculous, 200, 300 plus million dollar movies. It's like the things really need to be this expensive. So in a similar vein, like obviously there's always going to be some like mega budget games that like the studios really need to like spend three to five years and zillions and billions of hours and dollars like making some crazy game. Like could they scale it down and make something a little more streamlined or a little less expensive? you know mm-hmm. or maybe they'll be forced to just because of the environment and stuff um mm-hmm. like blizzards what uh there was this other i linked this about a month ago or whatever in late january it was uh they also canceled their survival game that was in development for like six years or something ridiculous it's just <laughs> it just mm-hmm. it just got axed you know i mean i personally thought that was it looked it sounded lame it didn't look interesting i'm like why is blizzard making this game like mm-hmm. just make a better Make Starcraft three or something like. Come on, guys! Like, mm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think it's very, very interesting, Casper. The leadership side of things, and really, like, you know, people like memeing about gamer culture. You know, it's always, it's always like a thing in in movies and YouTube videos and whatever. Like, oh, gamers are a certain. But you look at some of the reports that have come out of these companies. And it's surprisingly true how much of that carries over, mm-hmm. you know, with gamers being, um, I won't say like gamers in general, but like the stereotypical, like regular, bigger tier gamers being, uh, you know, very callous, very not very charismatic or or thoughtful, um, and and yes, things like Riot Games and Blizzard. Um, all the reports coming out of there about like the sexism, the racism, the 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 sheer you know class classism. Um, I think Bobby Kotick threatened to like kill or murder someone or something, and yeah. he was like, "Ha ha ha!" Yeah, just kidding. Ha ha. I mean, and like people were making like just just rape jokes in in Blizzard departments. Or, right. Was it Blizzard? I um I think so. Or they were cute. Or yeah. did, uh, it was um I think it was a bungee or something. Maybe maybe. Yeah, but and and it's just like you, you look at that, and I think part of it is systemic, um, and and the people that have kind of landed power, the the made men, if you will, in in gaming industries are are not very good leaders, no. um, and you know me myself being in a position of leadership, I've been just about my whole career. I, I I know firsthand the effects that bad leadership can have mm-hmm. on a workforce, on a project, and on the result. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in this case, you know, not only is it some of these results that have been coming out have been rather lackluster, but sometimes they they succeed. You know, um, they they make good games, they make a. a a profit and people get laid off anyways. Mm. And, and that's where it comes back to, okay, who is really the problem here? This 
one CEO or COO or whatever that's getting paid as much as all of these workers, or is it these workers? Mm-hmm. You know, me, I'm inclined to believe if there's an issue, um, it's really reflective on the leadership. And we know from the leaks, from the stories, from the lawsuits that there mm-hmm. there are leadership issues with just about every major company. So mm-hmm. I, I think it is a little nuanced of a situation. It's not little. It's a very nuanced situation. I mean, yeah. COVID definitely still has a factor in the economy being tumultuous and, you know, the very nature of entertainment markets being so unpredictable. Mm-hmm. I, I think all of that plays in, absolutely. But the lack of planning and foresight and the lack of effective leadership is, is probably what's causing that way more than any any job market. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I would but agree. With, with mass layoffs like that, you're also like, I, I think leadership there might underestimate how difficult it is to scale up again after you scale down that much. Because uh, if they ever need that capacity again, like it, it's not like you can hire a developer and day two, they are full speed, right? It takes right. a long time to get familiar with your internal tooling, the code base, all that jazz, right? So you, you can't just, you know, hit the throttle and you're going at full speed. Um, yeah. And, and as you said, with the like classes and thing, another story I've heard from, um, from Blizzard, uh, sorry, from an ex-developer or sorry, ex-tester there. He worked in the QA team. Um, he's now a software developer, pirate software on YouTube, I think is his name. Um, but he said that you were given these uh, badges at Blizzard, uh, where the color denoted what department you worked in. And he had some color to denote he was a QA test and he was giving his ideas to a developer. And initially the developer was very receptive to his ideas and thought he was, you know, he's giving interesting ideas. He could see him look at his badge and disconnect from the conversation. Right, like you're not on the same level as me, so I can mm-hmm. ignore you now. Right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, to be fair, the majority of these stories have come out of Blizzard that Lily was just referencing. There were others. There was a few at Ubisoft. It wasn't like mm-hmm. enormous, but I think it's more or less handled now. There was a couple at Bungie, but like Activision Blizzard has been just this like ah, this like leaky, weird, rocking ship for a while. Mm-hmm. Um. It's uh, it's interesting. Something like CD Projekt Red, I didn't hear like their management issues were more just like they mismanaged the project rather mm-hmm. than they like abused people or like had this asinine culture or whatever. I didn't hear stuff about them. So there's mm-hmm. also different kinds of mismanagement and mismanagement oh, yeah. of people and all this stuff. Um, what I would say, slightly pivoting, but like in, in an adjacent sense, you know, obviously it's easy to have 2020 vision or sit here as a gamer and like a uh, consumer, I mean, and speculate, but I just noticed that some companies, they chase a current trend, but it takes them three to five years to make the game. So let's say mm-hmm. like extraction shooters, Bungie's making an extraction shooter, Marathon's an extraction shooter, the next Marathon. It's like, what the shit? What do you mean mm-hmm. Marathon's an extraction shooter? Like, what is this nonsense? You know, um, to me, well, I think it's nonsense. Maybe it'll be a big hit. I don't think it will. But we see some companies or um uh what's their name the guys who made um arcane studios the guys who made prey and uh dishonored like they made redfall this weird like random co-op like like big companies will release a new game that's like a trend that's already passed because it was hot three to five years ago obviously yeah. not everyone can just have perfect vision and look ahead and go 
we're going to shoot a hoop and land there and it's going to land exactly where we want. But you can see it being more rewarded, again, using Larian, like they didn't make a new genre. They mm-hmm. they just made a really good version of something people already liked, like mm-hmm. RPG games. You know, people like a good RPG. People like a good single player game. You know, people like a good co-op game. People like a good any game, honestly. Pick your genre. But uh, my point is, I guess I wish these large companies, especially some of my favorites, like Blizzard, like Bungie, I wish they would stop chasing, like, the trend of the year or two and, like, just make what they're already good at. Like, where's Warcraft 4 or Starcraft mm-hmm. 3 or an actual marathon sequel that isn't mm-hmm. an extraction shooter? Like, people would buy that by the zillions. Like, just just make it. Like, what's, mm-hmm. why, why are you chasing all this light or like, these weird, these annoying live service games? And basically, yeah. they're making stuff they're unsuited for. Like, why is, why is um, BioWare making Anthem? I liked Anthem. But it was like three games shoved him to one. They weren't mm-hmm. suited to make it, clearly. Just like how Arcane wasn't suited to make Redfall or yeah. whatever. It's just like, I don't know. So it's like... There is Arma 4. It's been <laughs> Oh my god. Years. I was, was going to say you referenced Arma 3, and I'm like, I was checking that out in like 2010 or 11. <laughs> People still play Arma 3 because yeah. we we're still waiting. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. It's just like, and I guess I'm kind of baffled, and I'm posing the question like, who is making these decisions in these in these company rooms or these game rooms, whatever they are, like, this is what we're going to make. So is it like short-sightedness? Is it lack of confidence? Is it chasing trends? Is it like all these things mishmashed together plus, you know, possible mismanagement or what have you? I don't know. Obviously, I can't give an answer. There's some, there's some crazy stories. Um, what was it? A G4 TV. Casper, I don't know if you'll be familiar with that, but John or Lily, do you guys remember that? It was like the the gamer television. I know channel. too. Yeah, um, it went bankrupt like twenty years ago or something. Right. But then whoever the parent company was, I forget who it was. One of those big, like Universal or Paramount or whatever, one of those big ones. They greenlit a G four reboot for two hundred million dollars. Uh, this is like five or ten years ago now, and then it came out later. The reason they rebooted it. For, and and spend that much money, hire that many people who, of course, got laid off like a year later. It's because one of the senior leadership people, his son liked G4 TV when he was young. Wow. It was just like, oh, this guy has like no clue. And they're competing right. with like um, sites like IGN and stuff, but really like IGN and GameSpot are kind of in the twilight of their career. It's, it's really YouTubers that you're competing with and Twitch streamers. Mm-hmm. But it's like anybody with a brain in the gaming industry would tell you don't spend two hundred million on a reboot of a gaming television channel. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. But like they're just like, oh, let's do it, and then like, the, and the thing that sucks the most is like it's one thing if you like, let's say you live in New York City and you get hired by G four and they lay you off, and it's like, okay, you're in New York City, you can find another job. Hmm. If you relocated to New York City for that and moved your family and your kids and everything, that's mm-hmm. like. That's, yeah. And then it's just, it's, that's the human like, cost. Yeah. Yeah. Like super unethical with the company too. Cause like maybe they had the intentions of being profitable, but anybody with a brain who knows gaming at all would tell you that's, that's going to die immediately. Yeah. Um, didn't yeah. they try to reboot it again recently, like last year or two? And there was this whole weird... That's, that's probably what you're thinking of, is yeah. is that most recent reboot. I forget when it was. It was kind of recently because the actual channel went bankrupt like mm-hmm. 2012 or something. But... And the host was like a total a-hole to like everyone and was promptly like 
fired a few days later or something. I don't yeah. know. It was this whole they weird had, thing. They had like hundreds of staff. It's like if you're going to, if, if let's say like we, like us four, we're going to make this new gaming, I don't know, multimedia conglomerate and like get, make money. Our first order of business would not be let's secure a $200 million loan and hire 300 people. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, I don't think we would do that. No. <laughs> like, let's start with the four of us making YouTube videos or something and then. Yeah. Maybe in next year we'll hire three people. We'll right. I don't know. But. Yeah, it comes down to certain people who have um, the the power and responsibility just make really poor decisions in entertainment. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, I forget, w- w- I don't think it's Sony. Whoever made Mor- the Morbius movie, I never saw it. But it like totally flopped. Sony, yeah. And then there was a meme campaign about it. Like it's Morbin time or whatever. <laughs> and then some executives saw that, thought it was genuine interest and re-released the movie again. It's like, <sighs> really? You didn't understand this was <laughs> wow. a meme campaign? Like, so some people are just, I don't want to be mean, but they're just, they're just not very intelligent or good at their jobs. They don't pay attention. They're not conscious. Whatever like combination of factors it is, it's just like... Hmm. This is such a dead on arrival idea. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, the person who who makes decisions like that may be super smart if they worked in a different industry that they understood better or something. Like, maybe maybe they're a really great manager who just doesn't understand the industry they're in and like something, apply general something. management skill to. Really yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a, a lot of the- yeah. yeah disconnect. Yeah, yeah, not in tune with the fan base, consumer base, whatever you want to call it. Um, stuff yeah. like that. Like gamers aren't and that, that hard to please, to, honestly. And and that goes back to what you were saying of like people, these gaming companies see these trends and are like, oh, let's 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 fall, let's pile in on that. And it's like, no man, they're they're not buying like, I don't know what's a what's a good game that just came out, Hell Divers Two, right? Like people aren't people aren't piling into Hell Divers Two because it's a it's a great third person shooter and and everyone loves third person shooters now. That's all we should make. <laughs> Right. You no, know, it's like no, like th- this. This was a niche market. Like it's Hell Divers Two, right? Like it. It already had a a uh, an establishment in the past, and and they continued continued that that trend, and people liked it. And instead of focusing on on the the parts that don't matter, like a meme campaign or 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 a genre or whatever it's like mm. you have your market base you have your customer base like just just do what people want mm. and people will probably fall in on that and i and i guess the the major disconnect there is that they focus on the wrong part of of what it is what people want yeah yeah somehow they're not tuned in sam was just mentioning naughty dog in the chat Oh, a Last of yeah. Us live service game? That sounds terrible. Well, so they spent... So they, so Last of Us 1 had the multiplayer mode, which was, like, reasonably popular. But it's just a multiplayer mode for the Last of Us game. And obviously the focus was the single player, the story. And Last of Us 2 came out, and they said, we're going to have Last of Us factions coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and last, and Naughty Dog's, like, probably, if not the best game developer in the world, they'd be, like, top three or top yep. five for sure. Yeah, it kind of sure. depends on your preferred type of game but they're they're They're, in like they're very good at what they do yeah yeah they're like elite like top three for sure so they just canceled their last of us factions like a few months ago but they've spent year like last of us 2 came out in 2020 2019 so they've been working 
assumedly full time on this live service project since uh, then. Mid twenty twenty for Last of Us Two. Yeah, so now we're in, they canceled late twenty twenty three. So the three years, three and a half years of uh, the most the best developer in the world. Uh, I mean, maybe they're going to reuse some of that work, but most of it's probably just getting thrown in the trash. It's actually yeah. shocking how many of these big studios, especially single player game developers, suddenly start chasing the live service trend. I don't even know if any of them have worked out. It's just like flop after flop after flop, whether it's Bioware or Arcane or Naughty Dog or whoever. It's just like, what, 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 what are you, what are you doing? Like, stop, yeah. stop that. When it <laughs> comes to live service, and this is this is like, it's like a trigger for me. You just hit something. Go, <laughs> <laughs> so Lily, unleash. Like, it, it, it's people are using live service as an excuse for laziness. That's what I. Mm-hmm. It's like. We're going to release the, you know, it's the same thing with early access and, and games just sitting in early access forever. It's, it's, it's almost the same thing. People are like, this game is not ready to release. It, it has clear flaws. The vision is not complete. The, the story is not complete. And we're just going to, we're just going to stop, just, just throw it out there. Call it early access, call it live service, call it whatever you want. And, and they just throw these games out the window. And, and whenever, you know, people complain, it's like, Oh wait, this is live service. It's early access. We'll we'll patch this. We'll add this in later. This will be a DLC. It's like no, like we we need to go back. I think in 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 certain aspects, right? And and I know this is maybe a little a little um, what do you call it? A uh, hypocritical. Given I was just saying, you know, forward progress is a good thing. But this this is one part that really I think pisses a lot of people off. Hmm. Is sometimes it works. And, and sometimes it has to be live service. Like MMOs obviously have to be live service. You right. Have to add things in sequence for things like that. But there are some games like, I don't know, um, Halo Infinite. Why did that have to be live service? You know, like the multiplayer part, sure. But like the campaign has generally been regarded as having a good framework and having good ideas, but it just wasn't all there. Mm. And it's like, you, you you rush to the finish line, and you could have made things so much better. And and yes, I there there's also the flip side, right? Getting out of developer hell and and not keeping things on in in reserve for too long. But at the same time, it's like there there has to be a better balance for this. There has to be a better a usage for things like life service and early access. Other than screw it, we'll tackle it later. Mm-hmm. Toss it out in the market. See what happens. I, I definitely think it's an issue when such a crutch. Yeah, I definitely think it's an issue when they push out a live service that feels very incomplete and call it a live service, but like call it release 1.0. I don't necessarily think early access falls into the same category. Like, obviously, if it's an early access for like literally forever and it never leaves it, then okay, maybe there's a problem there. But like Baldur's Gate was in early access for ages and knowing that I just stayed away from it, but I'm going to play it now that it's out and it seems like it's out in a good state and everything. So I don't necessarily think the development model of saying, you know, you can try a bit of it now. It's, you know, like an early demo kind of thing. Is I could, I, could I interject? When really it's done properly. Yeah. yeah. Well, just what she was saying, like her, her um, conditions were like it, the vision of the game wasn't complete and that's the right. main thing. And Baldur's Gate had a clear vision. It was just like, here's the first portion of our vision. Okay, and that's badly fair. done yeah. games are just like blah. Here's part of an idea we spit out and like uh, yeah, that's fair. Now you know. Sorry, please, please go on. Yeah, just wanted. Yeah, to- that's a that's a great example of early access done properly, right? Like real quote unquote early access. 
I think, uh, I'm obviously, I'm big into strategy games. Broken Arrow is a very good example of early access being done right. Um, they're releasing, you know, little little pieces saying, here's here's a part of the game we have completed. This is not the whole game. Things will not be the same when it gets released in full. And here's here's just a part you can you can play now. And and that is a great example of it. Um, but then there's also this trend of people releasing early access games and, and it being just the quote-unquote whole game. Mm-hmm. And then they can just sit back and say, oh, this is just early access. This isn't reflective of the real game. Right. Uh, Postscriptum was a game that I really loved, and it was in quote-unquote early access the entire time I played it. Mm-hmm. And then the company went under, the game like basically died, and now it got picked up by the same developers of Squad, and mm-hmm. they call it Squad 44, so it's kind of coming back. But that's that's the same that like it's one of those things of like yes it can be done correctly but very often leadership and development will just use it as a, an easy way out or a as crutch. a crutch yeah yeah, right, yeah. No, it's true it's true i yeah, think i agree with it unfortunately more people do it wrong than do it right other than a small minority of large companies and maybe like certain indies they do it well like mm-hmm. darkest dungeon was an early access game and they just layered onto it the framework was great, and they just kept adding, here's more levels, here's more monsters, here's more heroes, boom, boom, boom. They built, like, a really cool game, you know? So some indies know how to do it well, too, and some indies just, like, spit out a game and abandon it, or it's in early access for, like, five years, ten years. It's like, oh, my God, what do you <laughs> release the game? <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. So it does it does go on. Um, yeah, uh, we have about 15 minutes left in recording, just, though I don't like saying that, but that's true. Um, even though this is really interesting, I just wanted, we did say we were going to talk about Death Stranding. So has anyone mm-hmm. here played Death Stranding? doesn't have to be on the Mac. Just have you played Death Stranding anywhere in any capacity? No. A little bit, like two hours. Heard of That's about my experience with it, yeah. Um, frankly, not on the Mac. Sorry, uh, Mac Game Gas listeners. Uh, I only tried it because it was free on the Epic Games Store. <laughs> I have it there, too, waiting yeah. for me. My... my uh... My whole understanding of it is that uh, the crossbow guy from Walking Dead is in there, uh, yeah. and that's it. <laughs> that's Daryl, Daryl Dixon. And it's Daryl Dixon, and he's got, like, a weird tar baby thing, and he, like, comes back to life. The whole game's really weird, really bizarre, and honest. I spent about, yeah, two hours playing it. Half the time I was just watching cutscenes, which is fine, because they were, like, super weird. I almost feel like he should have just made a movie instead of a game, mm-hmm. because... The cutscenes were more interesting to me than the gameplay, honestly. Um, have has anybody here played Metal Gear? Mm-hmm. Metal Gear Solid, because yeah. like it's it's a Hideo Kojima game, right. Death Stranding. So like if you play Metal Gear, especially like Metal Gear Four or whatever, it's it's very like mm-hmm. uh, artistic, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that actually reminds me. Yeah, um, you know how on the Apple stage, I think it was dubbed up. Um, Hideo Kojima said he'd always been an Apple fan and was excited to bring Death Stranding to yeah. the Mac. Uh, Metal Gear Solid 4 had an iPod in it. So actually, like that might not uh, actually just be something he's saying. Wow. That might be true. Wow, cool. Um, mm. I do think it's a good game, but it's a very weird game. And if you don't like do a little research and just like buy it, your expectations may be like, wildly mismatched. You might be like, mm. WTF is this game. So apparently the latter like half of the game also changes quite a bit in the gameplay. 
and is less sort of clunky and awkward with all you basically like an Amazon delivery boy in the future for like America that's post-apocalyptic or something. And you're trying to reunite people with delivering their packages. I don't even really know what's happening. And there's like real invisible monsters that can eat you. But then you come back to life because you're a special mm. returner dude. This isn't really spoilers. It's all within like the first half hour or whatever. Mm. It's it's a good example of uh, what you're talking about, like, like studios being, well, I don't know if they're forced or whatever, but to make games that they shouldn't be making. This is an example of the opposite. This is an example of a game that would never, ever get greenlit anywhere unless Hideo Kojima put his name on it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like you're a... Post, we have a post-apocalyptic sci-fi like Lovecraftian setting so you're like oh that sounds really good we have a really good game here um, and you're going to be an Amazon delivery guy <laughs> and, and you're just going to walk around and and that's the game but it's it's really fun um, I've, I've watched it a bunch it's very like atmospheric and like it's the kind of game where you can play you'll think you'll look at your watch you're like oh it's probably like 45 minutes it's been like three hours but um I actually watched it more than I've played it. Mm. I find it really relaxing to watch on Twitch, but it's yeah, I, I run super well on Mac as far as I can see. But, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's one of the best Mac ports like ever. Yeah. Should have added that. And uh, Hideo Kojima has promised to bring Death Stranding 2 to the Mac as well. So Ooh, cool. I don't know if it's a direct sequel or just set in the world. I'm a little unclear. But I think you do play the same. I think you play Daryl Dixon again. Haha. Uh-huh. Mm. From Walking Dead. Um, forget the actors. It's Norman Reedus. That's his name. Um, there's a bunch of there's a, several big name actors in there. There's like a French lady. There's uh, what's his name, Mads Mikkelsen, Guillermo del Toro, like the director. I think he's like uh, an, an actor in the game. Yeah, and they look very like photorealistic to them, like their real world faces and whoever the actor and actresses are. So, yeah, great graphics, great audio. Gameplay's a little weird. But I think there's a little combat in there. Mostly it's delivery stuff, but mm-hmm. I think the point of the game, the theme, is actually like connectivity. And later in the game. It, there's not quite multiplayer, but I think you can like do stuff for other people and help them mm, out cool. in the world or something. Kind of like a Souls game where you leave them messages to troll them, but actually like positive. Like I'll build a ladder here, and that ladder is there for like everybody or something like that. Oh, that's cool. So then they can just climb up the mountain instead of running all around it. So mm. I think it's something like that happens later. I'm a little hazy on that, but mm. cool game, good Mac port, nice support. That's what we want to see. We've been talking about for years. More games, more support, more big names. Like we need that. Um, Definitely. You know, so um, by all, you know, it doesn't have the best rating on the App Store, 3.9 or something. It's pretty close to a 4. The only complaints um, I've really seen are technical, not about the game itself. Yeah. yeah there, I there wonder how many of those reviews. So go ahead, Gasper. Sorry. There, there's a really big glitch where if you are not locked into Game Center on your Mac when you try and launch it, it'll just fail to launch. You need to be locked into Game Center. Ooh. Otherwise, it just doesn't work. The, the other side of the bad reviews, I haven't looked, but I wonder how many of them are like, I tried to play this on my 12-year-old MacBook Air, and it didn't work. And it well, it won't let you it. buy it unless you have an Apple Silicon. Machine. But can you review it if you haven't bought it? I don't know. How That's an interesting No, you can point. only review it. Well, can you? Okay. Actually, I don't know that. You know what I mean? I've, it's like you could just buy yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. I've seen that not for this game in particular, but other games in the Mac App Store where, like more in the Intel days, where you were allowed to buy it kind mm. of regardless of your computer. Mm. Um. I'm trying to think like like Borderlands three, for example, like really hard to run on the Mac. Yeah. I had a like pretty loaded 60 inch MacBook Pro, and it was like it would run, but it was like 30 FPS. Yeah. If you try to put that on your MacBook Air, there'd be like one frame per second. <laughs> so yeah, but that's like that. that's training will actually run fairly 
well, I mean, obviously not amazingly, but it'll run well enough on an M1 Air. So that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It is neat. Yeah, they've done great stuff with that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's been any other other notable Mac releases since Death Stranding. Um, no, as we already talked so. about, like, Lies of P and this and that, like, in previous yeah. episodes of the show. Yeah. Um, nothing on the horizon. I am playing Helldivers 2 because of a friend. I think it's pretty fun. Uh, it's a forty. It's a double A game. Forty dollars. It feels like a double A game. It's pretty good. There's a little jank, a little clunk, but yeah. it's terrible alone because there's no bots. So running around alone is not fun. You need at least a plus one buddy. There was a lot of people playing. You can quick play, but it seems to only be based on if people ask. You have to. There's this funny stratagem thing where you like pull up your arm and go like, and you have to actually like wasset the arrow keys like up, down, left, right, left, left, down, up, or whatever, and then you like hiya throw a little beacon thing. And then it puts out an SOS signal. So I think people only join your game if you do that, or you can only join theirs if they do that. So the quick play is a little weird. Mm-hmm. That aside, the game's pretty dang fun when you're actually playing with other people, a friend or randoms or whatever. It's basically Starship Troopers with like, I don't know what, a slight dash of, but also there's like Terminator robots in some of the worlds. Cool. Otherwise, it's like 80% Starship Troopers. It's it's satirical, ironic. But it, but it's fun, you know. Pretty good graphics, good shooty stuff, blowing up bugs and robots and whatever. Um, still waiting to finish Baldur's Gate three, Cyberpunk. What other game? I think there was another game in there somewhere. So I'm not really looking to buy. I wasn't looking to buy a new game. It's just my friend was like, "Come on, come on, this game's great. Come play, come play." I'm like, "All right," because he's my good buddy. So I bought the game. Otherwise, I I finally beat Baldur's Gate, so Ooh. highly recommend that. Nice. I'm, I I immediately started a new playthrough, like literally nah. as soon as I finished it. Naturally, nice. naturally. Yeah, Casper. I'm halfway in Pathfinder, I think at 350 hours. So Wrath of the Righteous or no Kingmaker? I'm still on. Oh Kingmaker. my god, really? Okay, it just takes ages, but it's excellent. <laughs> yeah, I'm still eyeballing um their latest 40k game, Rogue Trader, yeah. but. I'm waiting for a bunch of patches. Apparently, it needs them. So, mm. yeah, Lily, have you had any time for gaming, or just stuck on military flight simulators or whatever? <laughs> well, um, yes, but I I had a little bit of time. I've been uh, I've been getting back into strategy games, so I I picked up Warno and I started playing that, and they actually um just released a campaign, so um. I have been started on that. Which game was that again? Sorry. Uh, Warno. Warno? Like, how is that spelled? Sorry. Put that put that in the chat for you. Like, Warn with an O. Oh, that, okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> that's yeah. what I thought. I just, it seemed funny. Yep. So the name is actually based off a type of military order, a warning order. Uh-huh. And that gets shortened to a Warno. Um. And it's a it's a it's a really fun game. I've I've quite enjoyed it. Um, Looks good. Yeah. And it is it is in early access. <laughs> dun dun dun. But um, it so far, uh, and fingers crossed, it remains that way. They're actually doing a really good job of doing a real uh, early access with milestones and content releases. Um, Rated, so far, they've positive, given up yeah. their timeline. So hmm. a very good start, and I hope to see it continue that way. Nice. Um, I've also been playing a bit of Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Mm. Um, kind of fallen back into the single single player trends, just with uh, you know, the the army being as it is, not a lot of time for multiplayer games. 
um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor sequel to, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Jedi Fallen. No, yes, Fallen Order. Yeah. Um, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, improved on a lot of the mechanics. Kind of puts you back into the uh, feet of your character after a little bit of a time skip. And then, uh, what was the last game I was going to play? Oh, crap. My brain. My brain's not working. Um, Need some VR. Oh, Squad. So I recently re-downloaded Squad because I saw a cool um, workshop mod called Galactic Contention, which is basically turning Squad into the Clone Wars. (laughs) And it's really fun. Um, It is is surprisingly fun. It's, It's very chaotic and nonsensical. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice. Definitely look into getting back into. Nice. I think I saw a YouTube, like a YouTube video of that, and it was pretty entertaining. It was like, <laughs> it was it was fun. Yeah, it was fun to watch. Um, for sure. I used to be into milkspins for no for some reason. I'm not anymore. I don't know why. I'd be more into like Warno or um that other strategy game you mentioned that was still coming. Uh. I forget what it was. Broken Arrow. Yeah, that one. I'd be born. I'd be born to those kinds of games for sure. They released a little demo for that. Um, I think last weekend. I didn't get the time to play it, but it, it's looking. It's shaping up to be a really good. Um, uh, it, it's a spiritual successor to another game that I, I forgot the name of. And if we had more time, I'd Google. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we gotta. It's, it's a really good game. Nice. It, it YouTube is is filled with videos about it right now. Nice. All right. Well. I think we've had some great discussions here, some good stuff. Um, hopefully we can settle back into a slightly more regular schedule um, for the rest of this year for the listeners. Uh, we had a pretty long gap here. Sorry about that. Mostly my fault. And then just general scheduling. Everyone's more busy now. Casper's full-time work. Sam's busy working and moving. Lily's in the army. I've been in doing more work myself. I also am trying to kind of switch careers slash jobs. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Lily's moving too. Um, they, all good things. Like, we're all doing great. Hope all the listeners are doing great. Um, you know, just uh, we have to adult instead of just <laughs> fun game stuff. Um, yeah, but we'll be back when there's more cool stuff to talk about in the Mac gaming space, the Apple space, and um, when we can actually schedule. <laughs> That's the real boss, just like a D&D campaign yeah. uh, is, uh, is the scheduling. So, yeah, thank you, everyone, for uh, listening. Thank you for all you guys for being here and all the awesome... Uh, angles of thought and uh, input and all the discussions. It was really fun to listen to. Really enjoyed mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, we will catch everyone next time. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone. Take care.